Hello and welcome to Books by Old Dead Guys. I'm David. And I'm Scott. And this is episode number 72 as we continue to move through uh, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. Uh, so Scott, why don't you catch us up to, uh, to where we are today? Yep, yeah, so we are in a section where um, Brooks is helping us to see the ways in which the enemy tempts us away from doing the right thing. It's kind of like the first, the first section of the book was ways in which Satan tempts us to do the wrong thing. And uh, now we're in the part of the book where we discuss ways in which Satan keeps us from doing the right things. Worship, prayer, Bible study, pick those things, the things of God, the holy duties, as Brooks calls it. And so he's kind of walked through um, the first device, which is to make the things of this world uh, look more beautiful than the things of God, more appealing, more attractive than the things of God. And we made it through three uh, remedies, uh, spent a lot of time in Ecclesiastes talking about the vanity of things last time. And now we'll pick it up with the fourth remedy against this particular temptation. All righty. So remedy number four. The fourth remedy against this device of Satan is seriously to consider that the great things of this world are very hurtful and dangerous to the outward and inward man through the corruptions that be in the hearts of men. Oh, the rest, the peace, the comfort, the com- the content that the things of this world do strip many men of. Mm. Oh, the fears, the cares, the envy, the malice, the dangers, the mischiefs that they subject men to. Mm. They oftentimes make men carnally confident. The rich man's riches are a strong tower in his imagination. I said in my prosperity, I should never be moved. Psalm 30 verse 6. They often swell the heart with pride and make men forget God and neglect God and despise the rock of their salvation. When Jeshurun waxed fat and was grown thick and covered with fatness, then he forgot God and forsook God that made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation as Moses spake. Ah, the time, the thoughts, the spirits, that the things of the world consume and spend. Oh, how do they hinder the actings of faith upon God? How do they interrupt our sweet communion with God? How do they abate our love to the people of God and cool our love to the things of God and work us to act like those that are most unlike God? Oh, the deadness, the barrenness that doth attend men under great outward mercies. Oh, the riches of the world chokes the word that men live under the most soul-searching, the most soul-enriching means with lean souls. Though they have full purses, though their chests are full of silver, yet their hearts are empty of grace. In Genesis 13.2, it is said that Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver and in gold. According to the Hebrew, it is Abram was very weary to show that riches are a heavy burden and a hindrance many times to heaven and to happiness. King Henry IV of France asked the Duke of Alva if he had observed the great eclipse of the sun, which had lately happened. No, said the Duke, I have so much to do on earth that I have no leisure to look up to heaven. Ah, that this were not true of most professors in these days. 
It is very sad to think how their hearts and time is so much taken up with earthly things that they have scarce any leisure to look up to heaven or to look after Christ and the things that belong to their everlasting peace. Riches, though well got, yet are but like to manna. Those that gathered less had no want, and those that gathered more, it was but a trouble and annoyance to them. The world is troublesome, and yet it is loved. What would it be if it were peaceable? You embrace it, though it be filthy. What would you do if it were beautiful? You cannot keep your hands from the thorns. How earnest would you be then in gathering the flowers? The world may be fitly likened to the serpent, Sick tale. Sure. Let's go with that. Whereof it is reported <laughs> that when she cannot overtake the flying passenger, she doth with her beautiful colors so astonish and amaze them that they have no power to pass away till she hath stung them. Ah, how many thousands are there now on earth that have found this true by experience? that have spun a fair thread to strangle themselves, both temporally and eternally, by being bewitched by the beauty and bravery of this world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he's, he's really hitting us here on the idea that the things of this world are hurtful, that, they, that the things that appear beautiful are actually almost poison. He, he spends yes. a lot of time here on riches, on the pursuit of riches, the pursuit of comforts, if you will, and how those things really do never satisfy and, uh, and, and can keep us busy to the point. I think probably the most impactful sentence for me, this whole thing is the Duke said, I have so much to do on earth that I have no leisure to look up to heaven as though thinking of heavenly things and focusing our minds on the spiritual was a leisurely activity, right? I mean, you hear this, we see this, right? It's the church member who will get up early every single day to go to work but sees on Sunday morning an opportunity to sleep longer mm -hmm. because you have relegated the gathering of the saints to a thing that is optional and viewed the things that, that, that create earthly provision as necessary. I'm not saying you shouldn't go to work on time. I'm saying it's a both hand, right? Like it's, it's simply because the, you know, the, the Lord in heaven isn't just, isn't literally docking your heavenly paycheck because you don't come to church. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't work to gather with the saints. All right? Take that every day with your personal devotional life, right? Mm -hmm. The idea that I should sleep a little longer and that me getting in the word, it, even though I am 15 minutes from going out into the world that, that hates the word, right? Even though that I, I'm getting ready to engage this, this culture around me that hates the things of God, somehow sleep is actually more important to, to prepare me for that than the word. It's those little things, right, that, yeah. that the enemy uses, those subtle little shifts where we place things in wrong categories. When we place the things of God and the spiritual labors of our lives into the optional category, then we have opened ourselves up to find beautiful things ugly and ugly things beautiful. And that's what Brooks is after here. Yeah. Yeah, because the devil is all too pleased to use busyness, yeah, right? To to distract and detract and and try to sweep away as many Christians as he possibly can. His greatest tactic. I, I've I've said before from the pulpit, so it's no surprise that I would say it here that every pastor I know has a whole army of people that are willing to serve when their life is less busy. Mm. 
Mm. I, I mean, you know, I got a million of those folks. Like, you know, <laughs> everybody has a million Every, of those folks. Has everybody, right. because and and we mean well, right? In our mind, there is this time mm-hmm. where we're going to have more time to do these things. But right now, we just don't have that kind of time. Here's here's reality. That time never comes. Yeah, it just doesn't. You it, you make time for the things of God, or the cares of this world choke out the things of God. That's really it. Yeah, that's really all there is to it. And so Brooks has given us this warning of, man, be careful. You know, this is this is not going to go the way you think it's going to go. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's helpful. All right. So remedy number five, the fifth remedy against this device of Satan is to consider that all the felicity of this world is mixed. Our light is mixed with darkness, our joy with sorrow, our pleasures with pain, our honor with dishonor, our riches with wants. If our lights be spiritual, clear, and quick, we may see in the felicity of this world our wine mixed with water, our honey with gall, our sugar with wormwood, and our roses with prickles. Sorrow attends worldly joy. Danger attends worldly safety. Loss attends worldly labors. Tears attend worldly purposes. As to these things, men's hopes are vain. Their sorrow certain and joy feigned. The apostle calls this world a sea of glass, a sea for the trouble of it, and glass for the brittleness and bitterness of it. The honors, profits, pleasures, and delights of this world are true gardens of Adonis, where we can gather nothing but trivial flowers surrounded by many briars. Yeah, so this goes on in hand, really, with the other thing. The felicity of this world is mixed. You know, there's the, the, these things are all the good that you get in, out of this world is mixed with bad. Yes. All the pleasure that you receive from this world is mixed with pain, mm-hmm. and and it's not it's not a sanctifying pain. It's not a it's not a pain that's intended to reprove and discipline, like we talk about a biblical discipline of pain. It's a it's a pain that just wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Yeah, right. It's I mean, it, doing having having worked for years now, doing addiction counseling. This one right here rings true. Mm. You know that every addiction provides a moment's pleasure. You wouldn't pursue it if it didn't. Uh, but but the cost of that moment's pleasure is so high. The pain that accompanies it is so great. And the one thing the enemy will do in this moment is, is he will help you conveniently forget the cost that's associated with this, whatever this thing is that you're chasing. He'll, 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 he'll help you conveniently not think about the fact that, you know, you're causing all of this other damage because all he'll help you focus in on is the, is the temporary moment's pleasure. And so he's reminding us of the fact that it's, that it's mixed, right? So he calls the world, the things that we gain nothing but trivial flowers, which I think is great. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it, it, there's, there are more meaningful things. It's, it's Lewis, right? Lewis says that the problem is not that we are, uh, we are, um, it's too, that we're too hard to please. He says the problem is that we're too easily pleased, you know? So he likens the things of this world to, to settling for playing in a mud puddle in a parking lot. When the Lord Himself has promised us a vacation at the beach, mm. you know that we could we could be beholding the ocean of God's glory, and instead of beholding the ocean of God's glory, we we settle for the mud puddle. We settle for the things of this world that seem to momentarily satisfy and bring a second's joy, but but bring us nothing good in the end. Mm. So yeah, that's good. 
Mm. All right, so remedy number six. The sixth remedy against this device of Satan is to get better acquaintance and better assurance of more blessed and glorious things. That which raised up their spirits, Hebrews 10 and 11, to trample upon all the beauty, bravery, and glory of the world was the acquaintance with and assurance of better and more durable things. They took joyfully the spoiling of their goods, knowing in themselves that they had in heaven a better and more durable substance. They looked for a house that had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. They looked for another country, even an heavenly. They saw him that was invisible and had an eye to the recompense of reward. And this made them count all the glory and bravery of this world to be too poor and contemptible for them to set their hearts upon. The main reason why men dote upon the world and damn their souls to get the world is because they are not acquainted with a greater glory. Mm. Men ate acorns till they were acquainted with the use of wheat. Mm. Ah, were men more acquainted with that, with what union and communion with God means, what it is to have a new name and a new stone that none knows but he that hath it, Revelation 2.17. But they, did they but taste more of heaven and live more of heaven and had more glorious hopes of going to heaven, ah, how easily would they have the moon under their feet. It was an excellent saying of Louis of Baravia, emperor of Germany. Such goods are worth getting and owning as will not sink or wash away if a shipwreck happen, but will wade and swim out with us. It is recorded of Lazarus that after his resurrection from the dead, he was never seen to laugh. His thoughts and affections were so fixed in heaven though his body was on earth, and therefore he could not but slight temporal things, his heart being so bent and set upon eternals. There are goods for the throne of grace, as God, Christ, the Spirit, adoption, justification, remission of sin, peace with God, and peace with conscience, and there are goods of the footstool, as honors, riches, the favor of creatures, and other comforts and accommodations of this life. Now, he that hath acquaintance with and assurance of the goods of the throne will easily trample upon the goods of the footstool. Ah, that you would make it your business, your work, to mind more and make sure more to your own souls the great things of eternity that will yield you joy in life and peace in death and a crown of righteousness in the day of Christ's appearing, and that will lift up your souls above all the beauty and bravery of this bewitching world, that will raise your feet above other men's heads. When a man comes to be assured of a crown, a scepter, and the royal robes, he then begins to have low, mean, and contemptible thoughts of those things that before he highly prized." So will assurance of more great and glorious things breed in the soul a holy scorn and contempt of all these poor, mean things which the soul did value above God, Christ, and heaven. 
Yeah, so in other words, the reason that all these things in the world seem glorious is because you have not been acquainted with actual glory. Yes. Right? The only reason that the king looks, looks you know, valuable, really, truly valuable, the reason you fear the earthly king is because you haven't yet seen and tasted the heavenly king. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like this Isaiah 6 picture. Like when you see the train of his robe filling the temple. You've, you can't. You, nothing else appears glorious. <laughs> right? Like, you know, you may have a nice sunset. Or a nice sunrise at the beach. And it may remind you of the glory of God. But that is But not. it can't compare to the glory of God. Right? And that's what that's what he's after is the things of this it's the I think you think of the old hymn, the turn your old turn your eyes upon Jesus. Yes. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Like it's not just Jesus, it's seeing the glory of Christ. And realizing the grace of Christ and tasting those things will make the things of this world seem dim and dull because they are dim and dull. Everything here has been affected by the fall. And so when you get this pure glory of Christ and you can behold it, see it, and taste it, and grab onto it, everything else will, will pale in comparison. And so it's a warning, right? The remedy is to realize, man, this thing only looks glorious because I'm choosing not to behold real glory. Yeah. 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 All right. One more. And choosing to behold that real glory takes time and effort. Yes. It it takes, it's not just something that happens automatically. Holy sweat. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think, I think for a long time, I just kind of assumed that because I was a Christian, I would just kind of naturally think about heaven. Hmm. Like they would just kind Hmm. of come up in my thoughts. Right. But that's not how this thing works. No. That's <laughs> No. I mean, think about the times that we've had to remind each other, even as pastors, that our work is a supernatural work. Yes. You know, and that, the, and that Christianity is a supernatural religion. It's not a religion of self-help. No. It's not a, it's not a religion of just getting your earthly problems fixed, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a religion of just finding nice things to do for your kids. It's, it's, it's supernatural, man. It's Christ and Him crucified. And if... And if pastors have to generally remind themselves of that, then we can assume that everybody else probably does too. Indeed. Yeah. And so, but that's it. But that's but that's our task. That's the work of the Christian is to realize that we are exactly what was it Peter said we are? We're aliens and strangers. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. Well, consider this your reminder, folks. Think on heavenly things. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Just one more. You want to knock it out? Let's do it. All remedy right. seven. The seventh remedy against this device of Satan is. Seriously to consider that true happiness and satisfaction is not to be had in the enjoyment of worldly good. True happiness is too big and too glorious a thing to be found in anything below that God that is a Christian's summunum, summum bonum, summum bonum, chiefest good. That is great. The blessed angels, those glittering courtiers have all felicities and blessednesses and yet have and yet have they neither gold nor silver nor jewels nor none of the beauty and bravery of this world certainly if happiness was to be found in these things the lord jesus who is the right and royal heir of all things would have exchanged his cradle for a crown hmm. His birth chamber, a stable for a royal palace. His poverty for plenty. His despised followers for shining courtiers. And his mean provision, provisions for the choicest delicacies. 
Certainly happiness lies not in those things that a man may enjoy and yet be miserable forever. No, now a man may be great and graceless with Pharaoh, honorable and damnable with Saul, rich and miserable with, the, with dives. Therefore, happiness lies not in these things. Certainly happiness lies not in those things that cannot comfort a man upon, his di- upon a dying bed. That is a great sentence. Is oh, it? Yeah. I'm going to read that one again. again. Certainly, happiness lies not in those things that cannot comfort a man upon a dying bed. (sighs) Is it honors, riches, or friends that can comfort thee when thou comest to die? Or is it not rather faith in the blood of Christ, the witness of the Spirit of Christ, the sense and feeling of the love and favor of Christ, and the hopes of eternally reigning with Christ? Can happiness lie in those things that cannot give us health or strength or ease or a good night's rest or an hour's sleep or a good stomach? Why all the honors, riches, and delights of this world cannot give these poor things to us? Therefore, certainly, happiness lies not in the enjoyment of them. And surely happiness is not to be found in those things that cannot satisfy the souls of men. Now none of these things can satisfy the soul of man. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity, saith the wise man. Ecclesiastes 5.10 The barren womb, the horse leech's daughter, the grave and hell will soon will as soon be satisfied as the soul of man will by the enjoyment of any worldly good. Some one thing or another will be forever wanting to that soul that hath none but outward good to live upon. You may as soon fill a bag with wisdom, a chest with virtue, or a circle with a triangle, as the heart of a man with anything here below. A man may have enough of the world to sink him, but he can never have enough to satisfy him. Oh, man, that's good. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, I don't have to say much more. Certainly happiness lies not in those things that cannot comfort a man upon a dying bed. Yes. Where, where are you seeking your happiness, your true happiness, true joy? If it's, it's never going to be found in something that you'll not be thinking on when you have a precious few moments left in this world. Yes. That's a good word. Yes. yes. Wow. True happiness is too big and too glorious a thing to be found in anything on this world. Wow. Yeah, that's good. Mm. Mm. Well, that seems like a, a fitting spot to end. I think so. Heavy, yeah. but but so helpful. I mean, really, you know, to keep our eyes focused on heavenly things and to not mistake temporal glories for heavenly glories is the work of the Christian, especially in the modern age with so many bells and whistles and so many trinkets and toys and, you know, the uh, the world of information living in your pocket at any given moment, all these different, you know, different ways we are the, we are entertaining ourselves to death. Yes. And, and so as a, as a result, we fail to see the glory of Christ for what it is. And so it's a good reminder for us, put your, put your time and your energy in those things that truly matter. That's the word. So thank you, friends, for listening today. This has been a this has been one of my favorite episodes, I think. Uh, if you've benefited from this, would you share it with others who may benefit from it as well? Uh, we would greatly appreciate that. It's a joy to, to spend this time doing this together, and we will talk again soon.
Goodbye.